Very good. That's great. Maybe somebody could shut the back door there. That would be great. Thank you. Well, if you have your order service there as we make a start, I just want you to look again at the front of it. I'm not going to go through it like I did last week, but I just want you to note the new verse. Um, And it's uh, headed by the idea of the assignment. That's because this is the memory verse, as we said last week, of the Sunday special in K2 folks, um, our young people. Um, And they're looking at the theme of being a superhero for God. And so the assignment that the superheroes have been given uh, is, that, is to follow God's plans and to know God's plans. Um, and this is a tremendously encouraging verse, isn't it? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Um, and the context of that is that God wanted the, the exiles Uh, who were in Babylon at the time, the Israelite people, to settle um, and not to try and leave that situation, uh, but to give themselves, even though it wasn't easy uh, for them. And I said, what I want us to think about as we come to worship this morning is the idea of the love of God for us, because that's what we're going to be looking at later on. Jesus says to us in the passage that I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I think we were touching on it last week that sometimes in our hearts, we don't really believe that God loves us. We don't really understand the Father as a loving Father. We see him in many other ways, and we'll say more about that later. So I want us to think about 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, which says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. In the gospel, we are adopted as his sons and daughters. And therefore, that comes about through our salvation. So that's why we're going to sing, This is the Day because it's about our salvation. This is the day of our salvation. This is the day when we come to worship. This Sunday is the day that we remember all that he did. And then we're going to sing, you're the word of God the Father, because in the line in that says, your cry of love rings out across the land. So keep that in your minds as we come to worship this morning. We are not orphans. We are adopted children, and we worship a loving Father, let's stand to worship. Well, let's just bow our heads. Let's talk to God, our Father in heaven, just now. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we do have to come and to sing your praise and to worship freely in this building this morning. Uh, Father, we've been singing of the glory of creation, and uh, we've come to you on this uh, autumn morning, and uh, it's crisp and bright, and the skies are blue, and uh, Father, it's fresh. And we thank you for that freshness. We thank you that it was different from yesterday. We thank you, Father, that uh, even though these flowers that we've 
uh, been looking at over the summer time have gone away. In a, in a sense, it's like disposable art. It is that you bring it up for us to enjoy. It disappears again. And Father, you do that because you love us and you want to stimulate us and to give us variety and to give us a place that is beautiful to live in. And we praise you and thank you for this creation. And Father, we pray that as we contemplate who we are in you this morning, that we remember that we are adopted children, that by nature we choose to go away, and by nature we choose to disobey, and by nature we are reticent to come to you. Father, we see it in our own earthly relationships. We see how easily they are broken. We see that we often have distance between one another. We sometimes hold things against one another. And Father, it is just, in a sense, a token of the reality of what we do with you. And yet you sought us. You sent your Son to die for us. You loved us for, from before the creation of the world. You chose us. And Father, you opened our hearts and our eyes that we might see the love of Jesus on the cross. And Father, we thank you that he did love us. We thank you that he was perfect. We thank you that he um, bore our pain and suffered on our behalf. And we thank you that he even died so that we could be forgiven. And Father, we pray that we might understand the depth of the love of Jesus and that we might understand the depth of the love of the Father and that we might know that we are not orphans any longer, but that we are children of the King, that we belong, that we're created just as you wanted us to be, that the gifts that we have are just the gifts that you wanted to give us, that we are here because you want us to be here at this time. And Father, that we have nothing, nothing to worry about because you are our Father and you are totally in control. And Father, I pray that you will warm our hearts and I pray that we will, we will speak and walk and act and know that that is who we are. And that Father, that we will no longer be as afraid of men as we are that we will no longer be as proud as we are, and that we will humbly walk in obedience with our loving Heavenly Father. Father, we often have a long way to go, but we thank you that we're accepted just now, and that, Father, that we can gently walk step by step with you as we go forward in this. So, Father, it is our privilege to come. It's our privilege to hear your word. It's our privilege to hear uh, of what you are doing and we want to pray and ask that your will would be done and that, Father, that you would be honored in, in our lives and in this church. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're going to change the order of service. Um, and Rebecca is going to come and uh, speak to us this morning. I didn't know she was going to do this this morning, so... Are you going to tell your story, Rebecca, or do you want me to fill people in a little bit? Okay. Well, for those of you who don't know Rebecca, Rebecca ended up, uh, sadly, in uh, Bowman Hospital in the intensive care unit. 
and uh, was there for many months because she had a bleed in her brain. And we've seen a real miracle happen in Rebecca's life, that she's no longer there and that she's standing here. And she just wants to talk to you about that. So as Sam just said, as many of you know by now, <coughs> I, excuse me, I had a very serious and sudden illness back in April. I wanted to take an opportunity to say a big thank you to all of you for your prayers and support to my family and I. During the difficult times, I really felt comfort in knowing that people were praying for my recovery and God listened. I was discharged from my fourth hospital just over a month ago after four months. It was the Royal in Donnybrook for rehabilitation and I was very fortunate I didn't require too much rehab and blessed my recovery isn't complex. I'd particularly like to thank my elder Anne Galanders, Tommy and Jennifer and Sam and Karen for a visit that meant so much to my family and I and thanks to all the prayer groups as well. A patient in the Royal Hospital had a visitor who had heard about me through Fields of Life and she couldn't believe that I was Rebecca, so sick on a ventilator and really saw firsthand how prayer works. Um, she was amazed actually because a lot of people there thought I was one of the visitors coming in to see people and that, you know. Please continue to remember my family and I in prayer as the Lord brings us to your mind. Finally, I'd like to say a massive thanks to my incredible family, my parents, husband and sister who came in every day to see me and taken amazing care of our daughter, Ruby, and kept her knowing who I was, showing her pictures and bringing her in to see me. I feel very blessed and thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, let, let me just take a moment and we'll pray for Rebecca and for Gary and for Ruby and the family. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Father, I want to thank you for the testimony that Rebecca has shared with us uh, this morning. Uh, in many ways, it seems easy. Uh, what she has said, uh, but Father, we know that it was incredibly difficult. It was life and death. It did not look good. And Father, it was in many ways a real miracle that, she that she's able to stand and speak. And Father, we do realize at those times that we, we are helpless, and we realize that you are the one who works to your good purpose. And so we genuinely want to say thank you to you for your amazing goodness and love to Rebecca. We thank you for pulling her through. We thank you that she's able to stand and to speak and to be a mother and to be a wife and to be a member of this community and of wider society. So, Father, we give you thanks that you're a great God and a loving God. And we want to pray particularly for Rebecca and for Gary and for Ruby in this long journey of recovery. And Father, we thank you that you have promised to be with them and that you have promised to walk with them. And we pray that you will help them in all the practical details and that, Father, that you will give Rebecca the health and strength to return to the things that you want her to do and that, Father, that you be with her. We thank you for this community of love. We thank you for her family who have been incredibly loving and supportive. And Lord, we pray that you will continue a good work. And we thank you 
uh, for all that you've been doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I talked with Karen about Caterpillar Kids, and we'll leave that out this week. Uh, we'll uh, do that another time. So if you've got your Bibles there, we'll look at uh, John chapter 14. So John chapter 14 and verse 15. So I think it's page 1082. It might be 1083, as it is in my Bible, but see what it is in yours. And we're going to start then at verse 15. And if you remember, the, the disciples are troubled. They're troubled because Jesus is going away. And actually, this is the answer that Jesus gives to them. Um, so let me read it too. There's a lot in it. Actually, it's quite a complicated passage. Uh, lots of lovely verses in it. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Lovely verses like that in this. But let's hear God's word, starting at verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come. Let us leave. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Well, boys and girls, if you come to the front, Katie's going to come and speak to you now. You guys are all up here. I was back there. So I have a question for you. 
requires a lot of thought. How many of you like ice cream? Only these people like ice cream? I think there are some liars out there. Oh, okay. There are more ice cream lovers. Well, I love ice cream, especially on a hot summer afternoon. And when I was your age, I had the privilege of spending my summers with my grandma while my mom was at work. And sometimes on a particularly hot afternoon, grandma and my brother and I would pile into the car and we would drive to the ice cream shop. But the ice cream shop shared a car park with a tattoo parlor. I know. And so as we would be sitting eating our ice cream, there would be people sitting outside of the tattoo parlor, uh, usually smoking. And so as we drove back home, Grandma would remind us of Grandma's rule. This is, in our family, it's known as Grandma's rule. It's very simple. No smoking, no drugs, no tattoos. Now, when I was your age, I didn't really understand the rule, uh, but I knew that my grandma loved me, and I trusted her, and so I obeyed the rule. And it was quite simple. I was eight to, uh, to obey that rule. <coughs> but I got a bit older, and I went to secondary school, and I actually learned that grandma had this rule because some of those things are really dangerous. And so I kept following the rule. Well, then I went away to university, and some of my friends tried to pressure me into breaking that rule. And Grandma was far away, she lived far away, so she probably wouldn't have known if I'd broken the rule. But then I would remember what she had taught me, and I would turn to my friends and say, you know, sorry, I've made this promise to my Grandma, and in my Grandma's family, we just don't do those things. And I did actually say that, and they looked at me kind of funny, and it became a joke in my friend group. Oh, Katie's promise to her grandma, you know. But it was true. In our family, we just don't do those things. Now, what do you, I, my grandma loves me a whole lot, but when do you suppose she first started loving me? When, when you were born? When I was born, maybe even before when they were expecting that I would be born, right? She loved me way before I even knew that she even existed. And what do you think came first? Obeying her rules or being part of my grandma's family? Yeah, I was born into my family before I even knew about the rules, much less obeyed the rules. What about other people who happen to also obey this rule? Are they part of our family? No. No, why not? Because they just have the same rule. Yeah, they just have the same rule, but do they know my grandma? No. Do they have a relationship with my grandma? No, so it would be pretty weird if, if they just walked in and thought they were part of our family. You know? If they had a relationship with my grandma, I'm sure she would love to invite other people into our family. She does it all the time. But just because they follow the rule doesn't mean that they're part of our family. You know, for me, I belonged to my grandma and her family before I followed her rules. And because she loved me, she taught me those rules. And because I loved her back, I obeyed those rules. Now, in our scripture reading today, 
Jesus talks a lot about the relationship between love and obeying him. And it must be super important because he mentions it three times. Now, it can sound when we're reading it like it's all about what we can do. That if we love Jesus and we do the things that he says, then God will love us. <coughs> but let's think back to my grandma. Okay, what came first? My grandma's love for me or my love for my grandma? Yeah, my grandma loved me first. And what came first? Obeying my grandma or being part of our family? Being part of our family. And in a similar way, the Bible tells us that God loved us first. Even when we were his enemies, even when we were like, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And if we follow Jesus and we have a relationship with him, then we get to experience this amazing thing where we are called God's children and we belong to his family. So four weeks ago, we learned something cool about God's family. We learned that God's family will stand out. I know, are you all awake there? We'll stand out by how we serve one another. And two weeks ago, we learned that God's family stands out by how we love one another. This week, Jesus teaches us that his family will stand out by how we obey what he has taught us. And just like washing feet, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done. And he tells us that we're going to need help. Who does he promise to send to help us? The counselor. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, yeah. So he has lots of names. In this passage, he's called the counselor or the advocate.
It's always good to come to church. You get physical exercise, mental exercise, and spiritual encouragement. So, yeah, good to be here. Boys and girls, well done. I didn't jump because I have to do something else here, and I thought I don't want to be too sweaty for that. But there you go. You're free to go now to uh, Sunday Special K2, and we will stay here. So... Folks, while we're waiting for some of the folks to come back, let's just look at these announcements. You are very welcome to the service. It's great to have you. Uh, Next Sunday is our Harvest Thanksgiving service when we remember God's goodness in creation and provision. Uh, Our speaker will be the Reverend Andrew Gill, who's the minister in Black Rock and Bray. And uh, we're going to have a barbecue as well, a church family barbecue. Um, And you can read all the announcements about that there, just a little bit lower on as well. So do make an effort to come. If you want to invite people, that would be a great opportunity to do that as well. Prayer ministry takes place at the front, if you would like to be prayed for. Committee meets this Tuesday, uh, the 8th. Uh, Living Well, we've put that back in there for our uh, retired folks. Um, And again, this is a seminar that's really open to all. Um, where uh, uh, Ken Clark, um, uh, retired Church of Ireland bishop, uh, will come and be speaking on, uh, I think it's, yes, living well at any age. So, yeah, you're very welcome to come. Um, It's a good opportunity to hear a very good speaker address that topic. Uh, If you're an international student or international and would like to practice English and meet new people, then do come to the cafe here in the church at 7.30 this Friday as well. And the Halloween bags, um, Aderval, just to show you them here as well, we have these, uh, Aderval and Cynthia and others are putting together these bags. Um, There's a sheet out at the front, you can speak to them if you want more information. And we do want to encourage everybody in the congregation to think about getting these and to give them out during the period of Halloween. So I think those are all the announcements that I have now. Uh, Just as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word again, uh, we're going to sing this lovely song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. We've learned this, uh, I think, before, and uh, we'll we'll try it again. Uh, Just beautiful words as we uh, surrender, I think, to the Lord Jesus and to his spirit within us. So let's stand to sing. Thank you, folks. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for that lovely reminder um, of the gospel in the song. We thank you for the reminder of Katie's grandma and of her love and of her rules. And Father, I pray that as we listen to your word, that we will see it not as rules, but that we will see it as your instruction for our good. Father, forgive us that we so easily forget, that we so easily compromise these rules, these words. And Father, I pray that as we look at them this morning, that you will help us to re-engage with you and know your love for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, if you have your Bibles, do open them and uh, we'll try and work through this. We have a, a bit of a joke in our uh, home group. Um, at least we give our, Graham, our leader, a hard time because he's always hard on the disciples. 
and uh, he's always giving them a hard time. Um, and we agree with him, of course, um, as well. Um, but I suppose I want us to start there. I just want us to think we, we often are critical of the disciples. We see that they were slow to learn. Um, but they really did love Jesus. That's the key point, isn't it? And they are devastated, and we need to remember that. Uh, they are devastated because he says that they are leaving. He is leaving, and uh, they don't really know what to do with that. They want to go to the Father. If you look in verse 8, they're saying, well, look, we'll just go straight to the Father. Jesus says, you can't go there. Uh, you go back to 1336. He says, you can't come to heaven either. That's where I'm going, but you can't be there. And so they are just broken. They, they feel like orphans, verse 18. Sad, lonely, betrayed, devastated, and confused. And I think we often feel like that as well. Added into that, of course, Satan is also active. He has already convinced Judas, one of the disciples, to betray Jesus. He is constantly prowling around, putting doubts in their minds. And it, the temptation really follows. The first temptation, of course, in the Garden of Eden, did God really say? Does God really care? Why is he leaving? Isn't he just distant and far away? Isn't he weak, even cruel? Sometimes we see him as harsh and judgmental and boring. If you follow Jesus, you'll miss out on life. And for some of us, he's like our fathers, isn't he? And he exhibits all their weaknesses and sinful character traits. We need to believe, uh, understand, of course, that Satan is, of course, the father of lies and the deceiver. John tells us that in 8.20.44. But we are often tempted to believe him. And so our image of God, particularly as God is Father, is not good for all of those reasons that we've said. And thirdly, they are in a dilemma because they're told, as we heard last week in verse 12, that when Jesus goes away, they're going to do greater things than he did. And I actually don't know how sarcastic the disciples would have been, but if I'd have been there, I would have been sarcastic. I would have said, yeah, right. No way is that going to happen. How on earth were they going to do the things that Jesus did, let alone greater things than he did? How, was, how were their prayers going to be answered? How were they going to give the Father glory? So you can see their dilemma. <coughs> Jesus was leaving them, and there was no immediate solution. Satan was having a go, and they were full of doubt. And they were being told that they were going to do even greater things than Jesus did. And it was an impossible task. And I suppose, don't we often feel like that? When life doesn't work out, as we thought it would, when we're tempted to doubt the character of God and his commitment to us, does God love us? Is God for us? And what is God's solution? Well, I think I have a PowerPoint here just to break that up a little bit. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit and the church, that's what we're going to be looking at. You see, what they could have done is verse 15. They could have just remembered Jesus, and that's part of it as well. You know, they've already seen a revelation, as we saw last week as well. We need to keep remembering everything. Katie did a good job on that. So they've seen God the Father, verse 9. 
They've truly seen the Father in the washing of the feet. They've truly heard the Father in Jesus' words, and it's been good. And yet we look in verse 10, they don't really believe it. They're struggling with that fact. And Jesus tells them, look, what you could do is just continue to love me and obey my commands. You could do it from memory. You could remember me, and you could do it from that memory. But that's not what he actually says. He says that he's going to give the Holy Spirit. And this is the key, I think, to this in verse 16. And, and this is an amazing reality. Folks, it's genius. It is absolute genius. You are not going to be left as orphans. I am going away but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as you see there, is another counselor. I am a counselor. This is another counselor. That word is paraclete, someone who is alongside, someone ultimately who is a helper, an advocate, an advocate in a legal sense, somebody with authority and with strength. It's a strong word, a person who will be with you, as it says there, forever. Not amazing. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper, an advocate, to be with you forever. To be with you forever. It's amazing. And I was struck by Ephesians 2, for through him, that's Jesus, we both, that's Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Folks, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the most amazing gift. He is God, and he is with you personally, constantly, forever, and you are not alone. You are not without power. You are not without guidance and understanding. And that's why Jesus is able to say, I will not leave you as orphans. And I just want us to quickly remind ourselves about the Holy Spirit. I'm conscious not to make this I, I, I sort of talk just about the Holy Spirit, but I wanted to remind you of these things. By the way, the Holy Spirit is mentioned five times in these chapters, chapter 14, 15, and 16. There are five little sort of vignettes about um, the Holy Spirit. And what we learn here is that the every, he is within every Christian believer. You see that in he gives life. And in verse 15, and in verse 21, and verse 23... He is given in the context of this loving, obedient relationship with Jesus. So every believer has an experience of the Holy Spirit. I say clearly you are not a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of life, verse 19. He is the Spirit of rebirth in John chapter 3. He is the Spirit of sonship in Galatians 4 and Romans 8. You are therefore never orphans. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he is a person. Well, he gives life. I'll leave that. He is a person. Uh, he uses the masculine pronoun, he. He is distinct from the Father and the Son. You can see that in 26. There's a lot of teaching here. Um, Jesus never speaks of him as, as, as just part of him. He is separate from him, separate from the Father, and yet there's that unity as well. He's not a force or a power. And the Bible says that he has power, and he gives power, but he isn't a power. So he is a person, 
He is the truth. Verse 17, he will come back. We'll come back to this. Might just leave that. He will guide you into all truth. We'll hear that in chapter 16, 13, and 14. Um, and, and I see no separation between Holy Spirit and, and the Word, of course, in that as well. I was struck by this. He separates us from the world. Um, you see that in verse 17. The world cannot accept him, neither sees him nor knows him. Um, I've been thinking about this in terms of how we live. Folks, it's easy to compromise. It's a word that God has really been putting in my heart recently about things that I need to change uh, because it's easy as you get older in the Christian faith just to make up your own mind. And this very precious gift of an ongoing relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and through the Spirit separates us from the world. Because look, it says here, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. It doesn't, they just, we share lots of common experiences, don't we? We share culture, we share work, we share family life, we share in our sport, all of those kind of things. But folks, a non-believer does not have what you have. They do not have that sense of the appreciation of the kingdom of God. They have no idea of the pleasure that you get from reading God's word. They don't understand it. They don't want to do it. They don't really understand what prayer is, or that relationship that you have with God the Father. They have no understanding that you want to see others come to faith in Jesus Christ. For them, everybody is okay. And they don't mind speaking irreverently of his name. And they don't feel the hurt that you feel when his instructions are ignored. That's because you have the Holy Spirit. That's because you are separated from the world. John will tell us in chapter 15 about the world and hating the world and, and the world hating us later on. And the reality is, folks, that we're different. And we need to dare to be different because the Holy Spirit separates us. So the Holy Spirit is within every believer. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us this new life. The Holy Spirit dwells with us as a person. He is truth. And... Uh, I think that's, that's what we'll come back to that later on. And how is it maintained? Folks, it's maintained exactly as Katie said in her story. I can do no better than that. That was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But you see it in verses 30, 23 and 24. It's an ongoing relationship. And do you see the word there? It's a fascinating word as well. The idea of dwelling my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Literally, home. So isn't it fascinating? Jesus is going away. What's he doing? He's making a home for you in heaven. That's what he says he's doing, a dwelling place that's tailored for you, as we saw. But at the same time, he has sent the Holy Spirit so that he can continue to dwell, have his home with you in our hearts. And if we welcome him into our hearts, we, it's as we welcome any guest, isn't it? We love them. We understand their needs. We seek to please them by doing what they like. We abstain from what they dislike so that we can experience more and more of their relationship and friendship. That's what we do. That's why we do it. Because we have been loved and Jesus has loved us 
and we want to love him in return. And so Jesus throughout has been very clear and keen to point out to the disciples that even though he's going away physically through death, resurrection and ascension to heaven, he will send them the means for ongoing, deep and intimate relationship with himself and the Father through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a fantastic and a wonderful gift, the unseen reality for every believer. And that relationship is maintained by love through obedience to the word of God. And so I just wanted to finish off, as it were, by looking at what that means for us in practicalities. And firstly, it is that we have confidence in Scripture. You see that in verse 26 again? We're kind of working out the implications of this. So even the smartest people forget, don't you? You kind of forget what you had for dinner yesterday, don't you? Usually you do, or maybe four days ago. You just forget things. That's part of human nature. And the disciples knew that, and they were slow, as we said anyway, on the uptake. And how were they to remember everything that Jesus taught them? But if you read that verse, Jesus makes this amazing promise. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, because they hadn't actually grasped all things yet, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It was part of the work of the Holy Spirit in them and specific to them as apostles that they were enabled to remember and recall everything that Jesus said. And that is why, folks, we have absolute confidence in the Scriptures. They are the product of the disciples, the the apostles, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can read in chapter 2, chapter 12, and chapter 20, uh, where when the resurrection comes... And they have greater understanding that they begin to grasp more and more. That's what it means, uh, I think, when he says, we'll teach you all things. He will remind them. Say, yeah, that makes sense now. And folks, this is vitally important, as we've said. Because our knowledge of Jesus and our ongoing relationship with him is dependent on knowing his teaching. The Holy Spirit's work in the apostles gives us confidence in the written scriptures um, and in their truth in their inerrancy, in their sufficiency, in their dependability. And folks, the church can and must maintain her confidence in God's written word to maintain a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit. We are often tempted to compromise this, but to do so is to compromise truth, to stay in error, and to grieve the Holy Spirit. So we hear the voice of God by hearing what the Scriptures say. And we have absolute confidence that they are Jesus' teaching and the foundation of the church. That's why we put an emphasis on this. You are hearing God's voice and his commitment to the Scriptures this morning. And we can have confidence in that because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we can have peace. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? Verse 27. You see, in Jesus' day, there was peace. It was called the Pax Romana. And it was based basically on the domination of the Roman state and their authority and their laws. It was an authoritarian peace. And it's actually prevalent in many countries today. That's how many countries, particularly increasingly, it would seem, have authoritarian leaders and a strong authority. And there's a basic peace because people have to toe the line. 
It's one way the world gives peace. But Jesus says, listen to this, it's not how he gives peace. Jesus does not give peace by coming as a strong authority with a word of command that you must obey. That's not how he gives peace. Secondly, some people uh, give peace, don't they, by saying, well, it doesn't really matter. This doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Uh, That issue isn't important. The Bible describes that, by the way, as false prophets. Jeremiah 6, they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. We cannot pretend that everything is fine. We can't just say, well, I live in peace whenever there is obviously no peace. This, again, is not God's way. That is falsehood. So when Jesus says that the world cannot give peace, and he doesn't give as the world gives, he's speaking of something else. His peace is not meditated by authority. It is meditated by love, as Katie was saying, I think, so helpfully as well. And his peace is not sweeping all the difficulties that we have and the differences that we have under the carpet and saying they don't exist. His love is taking it to the cross and dying for that so that there is a way made for us. That is the hostility between us and other human beings and particularly the hostility between God and us. And so on the cross, he made peace. And he made it because he loved us. And he made it because he was owning up to the reality of the lack of peace that was in our hearts. And when we have that peace, that Holy Spirit enters into our hearts, as you see here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And it has that power to quell the anxious, thought, the anxious heart, even when the threat surrounds us. It is personal. It is present. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, I have to admit, folks, that I'm an anxious person. I've always been anxious. I have a great deal of fear, particularly of others, in my mind. And so it's not that we are perfect in this, but that it is, it's not the magical removal I've written here of anxiety, nor have we failed when we feel this anxiety. But we do not despair. We do not believe that we have been abandoned. We do not believe that we are unloved. We do not stop following Jesus' ways just because it's difficult. But we trust in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our hearts. That is what ultimately brings peace. And we have it to some degree, and I am less anxious than I was when I was 18 than I am now. And one day, I will not be anxious at all. There will be no barrier between you and me or between anybody else because all our relationships will be perfect. We will not fear because we're on an upward trajectory. That is what Jesus has assured us of if we trust him. And follow his word. And thirdly, we have assurance of victory. You see that in this end part. There's a lot in this, folks. I spent a long time trying to work out what the Father is greater than I, and I'm not going to teach that because it's just quite complicated. But I really just want to make the sense here at the end that Jesus assures his disciples that he has victory in this battle. 
See that in verse 30 in particular. Satan has no hold on him. The prince of this world is Satan. He has no hold on him. Why has he no hold on him? Firstly, because Jesus is not of this world. He isn't of this world. Therefore, he's not under Satan's jurisdiction. Now, we often do that in extradition cases, don't we? We don't have any authority on that person because they're not from this country. Jesus is not from this world, John chapter 8 and verse 23. And he has nothing on him. He does have on us because we're guilty, but Jesus is not guilty, John chapter 8 and verse 46. So he has no hold on him. He has no reason to kill him. And Jesus instead voluntarily gives his life in obedience to the Father's commands. And he therefore shows us the way we are to live in fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in loving obedience. Do you see that verse uh, 31? Apparently that's the only place I read this week that Jesus says, I love the Father. But the world must learn that I love the Father. Interesting, isn't it? And if he loves the Father, what does he do? He obeys the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Katie's right. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. And so he's saying if we hold to Scripture, if we hold to the truth, we hold to Jesus, no matter what our troubles are, we have an assurance of victory in the cross. And what does that mean for us, folks? Well, let me finish by just highlighting these things. Firstly, love for God is the controlling motive in living the Christian life. We love because he first loved us. The motive for obedience is Jesus' love for us. At the heart, therefore, our failure to obey in verse 24 is a lack of love for Jesus. And we need to understand that and confess it, and bring it to the cross, because he still loves us, even when we understand that. Jesus calls us to honesty and repentance, not sweeping it under the carpet, not saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And we need to turn from our own paths, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to understand that God, the Holy Spirit, is God's magnificent gift, the third person of the Trinity. And because of that, we can trust the Scriptures. Because of that, we can know peace in our hearts. Because of that, we are assured of victory. We are not left as orphans. And then I love that little last line. You see that? Come now, let us leave. It's half term. The school is finished. You are being able to take a break, and we'll do that next week in harvest. And then we will come back because he's going to take us outside. He's going to teach us more lessons, and he's going to take us in this second part of his schooling. But ultimately, folks, I suppose, what what are we to remember? I want us to remember that we're not orphans, because the Father loves us, and we live and act in obedience because of that love for us. And if we know that, and we really believe that, then we will see a process of change and a process of service and a process of loving one another and a process of growing in that love. And I pray that we will learn those lessons. Amen. Folks, um, 
Let's worship God as we give our offering. And we're going to sing a song as well, O Lord, who came from realms above. Well, in our prayers for others today, I've just listed three people um, who uh, used to uh, be part of our church and are involved in ministries overseas. Karen uh, Morgan in Monterrey in Mexico, Alfred Thompson uh, heading up Wycliffe Bible Translators Office in Belfast, and Leo and Liddy, of course, who are in Porto. Um, and we could do that with many, many different people who have come to the church, and it's one of the encouragements that we have here in Adelaide Road. So let's pray for those people this morning. Father, we thank you for Karen and Ramon and the work that they do with Youth with a Mission in Monterey in Mexico. We thank you that Karen was able to come home and visit her mum as she celebrated a significant birthday in the last couple of weeks in Derry. We thank you, Father, for the completion of their Bible teaching and counselling school and for the new students who are coming to the new school. And we pray that those students who have been ministered to personally and through your word will have grown in their faith and that you will take them back to be good members of their churches and into ministry. We pray, Father, for their church involvement and for the growing links with a local church there. And we thank you for that. And we pray particularly that you would look after them as they try and sort out a sponsoring church so that they won't have to keep getting their visas renewed. So we thank you for their ministry. And Father, we thank you for the ministry of Wycliffe Bible Translators, for the magnificent work that they do in translating the scriptures into local languages so that people will know it. We thank you particularly for uh, the work in Chad in Africa. We thank you that they're teaching a degree program that looks at translation and literacy and scripture engagement. And we pray, Father, that you will be with them as they teach that to many people, that they in turn will be able to teach it to others. We pray that for the Megama people uh, who are having First and Second Peter translated into their own language and that this will be something that will stimulate their faith and grow them. And we pray particularly for Alfred and for Ruth and the family that you will be with them as they uh, minister in St. Field Road Presbyterian and as Alfred heads up the office in Belfast and edits the magazine. And Father, we pray for Leo and for Liddy and Porto. We thank you for the church there and we pray for James and Heather as they begin a new series on the Sermon on the Mount this week. We pray that you will use that preaching as Jesus' manifesto for the church and for society is given and that they will be able to work out what that looks like. We pray for them as they look for new premises. We thank you that uh, they have grown, outgrown the place where they are and we also realize that they have a problem with water getting into their premises as well. So we do pray that they will be able to find new premises. And we pray for Leo and Liddy and thank you for their jobs and thank you for their ongoing witness and involvement in the church. We pray for them as they also look for a new apartment, somewhere that they can call home and be comfortable in. And we thank you for them and for all that they mean to us. And Father, we pray that the love of God will be known. And we pray that we will know that love deep in our own hearts. 
And Father, we remember those in Adelaide Road who are particularly struggling at the moment. We think of the pressure that comes from difficult circumstances. And those circumstances can be huge, Father, and we don't really know how we can cope. And we pray that you will reassure them of your loving presence. We pray that you will give them the help that they need to maintain their faith. We pray, Father, that you will help them to navigate step by step. Whether that situation changes or does not change, whether it improves or disimproves, Father, we pray that they will hold on to you in the midst of it. And Father, we particularly mention Jonathan Mitchell to you and Annie Patton and Martha Jones. And we pray, Father, that you will be with them in their ongoing situations, some of them so incredibly difficult. And Father, we pray that you will open their hearts and their minds. They will see Jesus, that they will understand how deeply he loves them, and that, Father, that they might know him in a way that will give peace in the midst of such tragic and difficult circumstances. And Father, we pray for ourselves. We thank you that we are a loved people. We thank you that we are a fathered people. We thank you, Father, that you want us to enjoy our relationship with you. And I pray that we will grow in that love and that we will grow in that love for you and our love for each other. And that, Father, that you will bless us as we endeavor to do so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, stand to sing our final hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. Forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In pure lives, thy service finds. So let's stand to sing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.